0: Salem Happenings, a show where we discuss the issues that you're all talking about around the city. Today joining us are Salem Gazette reporter Will Dapp, former Salem Arts planner Deborah Greel, Gwendolyn Roseman, the retired academic administrator from Salem State University, and filling in for Rebecca Haynes is John Andrews, founder of the Creative Collective. I'm Dustin Luca with the Salem News, and we're also joined behind the scenes by Alan Hanscom, a producer from SKTV who's helping us pull this all together. This is our second remotely filmed episode under the impacts of COVID-19, and uh, just like last time, the world different today is different than the one that when we were last on air. Days after we last filmed, the world was shocked by footage of a man in Minneapolis dying in police custody, the circumstances of which we all know we don't need to describe to you today. Um, but since then, there's been a groundswell of protests, demonstrations, and even violence across the country as America begins to take serious steps. addressing the fact that even today, the concept of equality isn't enjoyed at all. There have even been several demonstrations locally that several of us have witnessed and either attended or covered in the news firsthand. And then even beyond that, state reopening from COVID-19, graduations are being held virtually all over and also being rescheduled for later in the summer. There's no no shortage of topics we'll talk about, but I guess let's start with the most pressing one, the race discussion. There's certainly a lot to talk about here. So why don't we uh, begin with what happening locally, which I know Will has uh, seen a lot of that. So what's uh, what can you tell us? Well, I wrote down a, uh, I wrote a list of all of the sort of um,
1: peaceful protests um, for Black Lives Matters that have been popping up or have been pre-planned since Memorial Day, the day that George Floyd uh, was killed. Uh, the largest one was um, on... Um, and then concurrently, there was one on uh, Essex Street Pedestrian Mall. And then we also had one um, outside the Salem Police Station the day before the Salem Common one, which I would probably consider to be probably the largest of all the ones that we've seen so far. Um, and I think the one that was outside the Salem Police Station just kind of popped up. It wasn't pre-planned like the other two. And then we had a rolling rally And this was just a bunch of uh, activists who got in their cars, about a hundred of them and rolled through Beverly, Salem and Swampscott, delivering a letter of demands uh, to the, the Essex County Sheriff um, Coppinger, the Essex County um, attorney and also governor Baker. So outside governor Baker's house in Swampscott, they did a die in where they just laid out on asphalt, you know, laid down on asphalt as if they were dead and, um, uh, hand-delivered letters that they had written um, demanding an end to police terror, police brutality uh, against black men and women, and then um, just this past weekend, I don't know if you if you saw this, uh, Dustin, but they went to the Willows and protested outside of Salem City Council President uh, um, uh, Bob McCarthy's Bob McCarthy's house, which I guess no one's off limits these days, um, and also uh, so. After all of this has happened, Mayor Driscoll has um, formed a race equity task force that will be looking at city policies um, around uh,
0: um, equity. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved about that, too, is the fact that you actually have um, people who organize a lot of these protests are involved in that. I mean, what do you guys think about basically... You just kind of before we get on to the task force, because there's certainly a lot to talk about there with the different 25 members that are on and everything, but just what do we all think about kind of just the fact that we've seen basically reliably every single Friday, there's, you know, a protest of some kind moving forward through the city. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I, so I've been to a handful of the protests. Um, I will say this is definitively from what I'm seeing in Salem specifically. This is a this is the youth, the youth of Salem are pissed, <laughs> and they want change, um, and they want people to listen. And everything that I've been to has been really well produced, really educational. Um, there's clear messaging. There's clear you know some of it might not make you know, a whole lot of sense when you start to really get how things work. I mean, I know, you know, the, the, the want to just fire Captain Kate straight out, you know, there's unions to deal with, there's contracts to deal with, it's just not that simple. Um, so, but I I am extremely impressed with seeing how the youth have channeled a lot of what is obvious frustration and, and being locked down for, you know, 15 to 18 weeks and missing their graduations and missing their proms and missing, and they've really taken that, that angst that we all experience when we're teenagers and they've put it into something that's really important.
3: But Aren't we seeing more diversity amongst the youth? You know, my understanding was that 49% of uh, of high school students is a diverse uh, population. So maybe we're just seeing um, the, act, you know, being active in terms of thinking that they're looking around at their peers and saying we definitely want more uh, equity and uh, we have a voice and hopefully they're gonna mobilize this November to help bring some of those changes um, to
4: our our federal government that is so desperately needed right now. I think in an area like um, you know the North Shore of Boston, that it's critical to note that the, the demonstrations, if you will, the marches, if you will, have reached into the North Shore and are attracting not just young people but people who, um, who would count themselves as quote unquote liberal. and I don't like labels, but who get to give an expression to because the North Shore of Boston, and I mean, I mean you know, as we all see, uh, it's a big area, and it is, but it is not a diverse area. So the opportunities for people to have their voices heard uh, for the young people, and I never want to put all my faith in young people because you know, they're, across, they're not a monologue, but for these young people to speak up and be heard and to do so without disruption, uh, without calling criticism to themselves, but rather to be heard, and it's important. And just to piggyback
1: off of you, Glenn, <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed through my coverage of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement here in Swampscott in Salem uh, is that you know it's kind of interesting. You'll see a, hot, a mixture of people from who were who were marching in like the '60s or you know protesting the mm-hmm. Vietnam War young people. and you'll see the older protesters that are they just look at the kids in awe, just like wow, like finally mm-hmm. the day has come where we we're starting to see. Um, you know, uh, activism from young mm-hmm. people, and and it's kind of like, you know, the torch is being kind of passed on to
4: mm-hmm. to the next generation. Exactly. Exactly. Because we're tired, okay?
0: Those of us who've been here before, we're tired. So here's the torch, carry, <laughs> carry on. on. My blessing. And even on top of that, too, there's this huge level of allyship that's been going on here, too. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, the crowds that I've seen, you know, whether they're marching to Bob McCarthy's house or going to the police station or they're just sitting in at the common, or something like that. It's a very, very diverse crowd. It isn't just mm-hmm. people involved. There's a lot of white people there as well. And I feel like that's kind of worth noting, especially given, you know, kind of what's at stake and what's being discussed here, the fact that you have mm-hmm. so many allies rising up. I think one message that it, that should come to clear is that, in a great sense,
4: it is not the battle of black and indigenous people of color. It right. is a white community battle. You know, we didn't create it. And it should not be we could call attention to it, but it cannot be up to us to fix it. So right. that diversity in the marches and the demonstrations is much noted.
3: That's why I think it has to happen on a local, state, national level. But, you know, all things are local. Mr. Mm. So it's
0: a good thing. Yeah, certainly. And it's I mean, the local is definitely coming out here too, because I know I don't what you've been seeing, Will, but I know a lot of the people that I've been talking to, mostly in Salem, but actually within Salem, so it's Salem coming out to these things. Yeah.
2: I mean Salem 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 finds its voice. I, I mean I've seen it I've only been in Salem for like nine years. But, you know, when we hit when there's major LGBTQ issues, we find a voice. When Boston Marathon bombing happened, I mean, one of the most impactful moments that I've ever seen was when everybody came together on the Common, and I mean, that's what kept me here. I mean, so I I would expect Salem to, and it's really good to see that they are showing up to the fight because it's, 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 it's needed.
3: I'm just going to pop in because, you know, why and I talk about this all the time? It really is about leadership. I think that, so you've been here nine years, John, that's as long as, as Kim has been a mayor, it's 12 mm-hmm. years. And so you really need that level of leadership that's going mm-hmm. to be able to understand these issues and then to be able to respond to them in a very, very uh, significant kind of way and to also be part of that. So I think we're seeing it, you know, obviously... Um, you know, and all the, the references you made, John, but we're also seeing it, too, is how everybody's pivoting so quickly. We'll talk about this later, about getting things open. So, again, I,
0: I give kudos uh, to the leadership, um, you know, starting from the mayor's office. Yeah, certainly. And, then, you know, since you mentioned the mayor's office, now might be a good time to transition onto the task force. Uh, there's a lot of things that the protests are discussing and highlighting, and one of them is a massive need for education. For that, the city has kind of pulled together this race equity task force to go over both what's happening in Salem and what needs to happen in Salem. And the list on this is pretty big. 25 people, including city councilors, officials like the police chief and school superintendent, several of the people who organized the protests. We were just talking about it more, so I guess just maybe open this one up completely. What do we think about the membership and the tall order of work that the task force will soon have to dig into? Well, first of all,
3: I'm... Um I applaud the fact that uh, Gwen, Gwendolyn is actually part of that task force, which is marvelous. Um, and one other thing, I noticed that uh, there's, a, there's an email address that you can email, which, which I have actually to say, if there's a working group, is there something else? So I think that's expanded. But, so, yes. Have you had any um, – has there been any uh, other conversations, um, Gwen, uh, about this oh, task We're waiting to be called to meet
4: and to find out the charge but the big picture i think is that people white people are redefining somewhat reluctantly sometimes what racism is and we've always seen it as you know one person's bigoted act uh, a few people who are prejudiced and some of whom who are violent and it's been kind of an individual thing which leads people to say i'm not racist which of course so what the task force looks at will be i think looking at is racism as a policy For those of you who have read dr Pindy's anti-racist book will will see that context that racism is only really policy more more than individual acts of bigotry that racism allows bigotry to occur, but it is policies, it is decisions, it is a big picture. And what I believe the task force, and again, we have not met yet, but what I believe one of the things we will look at is what are the policies and the the systems that produce and maintain racism? You know, back in, in, in the civil rights movement in 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and people thought that all you needed to do was to call on uh, people's sense of justice and what was right and win their hearts and minds and they would do the right thing. And now 50 years later, we're like, well, no, it didn't happen that way. So the the need for such a task force and i want to note that there's one also well a a new position in boston the office of equity a cabinet level position which we be doing the same thing is to identify what's next that the marches the demonstrations call attention to where the policies and practices are not equitable what's next we cannot just leave it at being able to to march, to demonstrate. And I would call your attention, I was trying to figure out what to say about this this morning, and I looked at Boston Globe uh, front page, and uh, let's see, that's the that one, two, three, four, five, that's front page stories, have to do with racism and policy. Uh, very quickly, Boston Police Department backsliding on diversity. It's a policy issue. Uh, Strong bias against black renters scene. Again, policies. I would, although I have not read the whole article, the the coverage of COVID-19, which is striking the black community far harder than it is in other communities. The loss of life is far more in the black and people of color communities Than in white communities. And um, bring it really close to home. And if you have not seen the story, please pull up the Globe and check it out. Headline Black Driver Says She Was Followed and Harassed. And it's really, really an ugly story 15 miles up the road from us. So if you have not seen that from today's Globe, July 1st Globe, please read that. It, It reinforces a couple of things the need for the task force, but also that no place is safe for people of color. It's a real issue. So Charles
3: um, Charles Blow last week in the New York Times had an article that said, an opinion piece says, how old were you when you were first stopped by the police? Mm. And then Callie Crossley on Sunday nights, uh, she also had um, some gentlemen on there um, and asked them. And it's horrifying. You know, I think it was Emmett Price who works at uh, Gordon Seminary said he was nine years old.
4: Nine Mm -hmm. years old. First time
3: he was stopped because he was walking through a white neighborhood. So yes, when it is, it, and I am reading about um, the anti-racist book, and it is about policy, and it's about changing um, the perception of of the quality and, and harassment, basically. So I really look forward to um, the
0: deeper dives that you'll be doing um, with this task force. Thank you. And just to provide a bit of an editorial comment, to anybody who is wondering wh- what today is, um, so we know what globe to look at, that's uh, July first. And I'll make sure for the postings on Facebook that we have for this uh, this video that we'll make sure we try to include a couple of links to those articles. so Anybody who's watching this can actually also see what's being said in those articles. I mean, um, Will John, what are you guys' thoughts on the task force itself? I
1: I think it's a great idea. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them break down policies and you know just uh you know systems that are in place in salem i mean even in salem i'm sure they exist and uh you know it's um i like to call it white equity you know because it's really equity it's like resources have you know white people have, like created systems and policies that let us hoard actual resources from like you know housing to education to all of this stuff so i'm i i'm I'm looking forward to even to seeing them deconstruct stuff and come and see what policies they come up with because they were free So yeah, I mean that's what I'm 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 looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I for
2: me, um, I'd like to see the trickle. Obviously, what I do for a living, I'd like to see the trickle and the lines of communication that are coming out of the task force to give us some action items on what we can do better. Um, I definitely, you know, right after. Right after uh, George Floyd, the tragedy, and we started getting some email threads about, "Hey, send us some black-owned businesses that we can support," and we don't really have them, and that that is something that we've been talking about um, when Danica was at the Danica Thurston was at the PBD Essex Museum. That's a conversation that we used to have a lot because when we would run events together, we would try to find. You know, uh, black-owned businesses, Latinx-owned businesses, to 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 come and play with us. You know, and it was it, we couldn't find them locally, and so that was really challenging that we couldn't find them locally. So, I I'm hoping that you know the small business community is a big part of an mm-hmm. equitable
4: mm-hmm.
2: Uh, community. Um, obviously, from the arts and culture side of things. I am learning that we're not as friendly, welcoming, and diverse as I thought we were, um, which has really been an eye opener for me. Um, I think we do a really good job at welcoming, um, but I think you know we, we we have a lot of work to do as well. Um, so, I I'm really impressed with the group. Um, I I hope the lines lines of communication from the group get to other organizations that can really immerse at the ground level into the community.
3: I think it's about changing. It's it's, it's also about changing culture. It's also about a welcoming culture. You know, John and I attended um, a workshop with David House from the uh, Art Emerson, and uh, he had an interesting. He was he was on a board of directors, and every. Week they would every month they would go golfing and he was never invited. And finally he said, "You go golfing after it?" And he said, "Yes, I golf." They said, "You golf?" So it's the idea of they said, they just didn't think that he golfed because he was an African American man. So it's about just even cre- creating the culture within an organization that says, you know everybody's welcome, not just the you know one and done. It's how is that welcoming culture presented so that's that needs to that that i'm hoping is something also that the task force is is really looking at with, with policy and what is it what is culture that gets created so
0: everyone feels like they are are welcome and i know one of the things that's actually central to that you know when you're talking about the culture is changing of attitudes and things like that and, you know when we were you know, meeting initially to kind of talk about what we were going to talk about in this episode, Gwen had actually pointed out something pretty remarkable about change. and do you want to go into that, Gwen? The, out of the five New York Times bestsellers,
4: and you can dig deeper into the list itself. but out of the five bestsellers that are combined print and ebook nonfiction, four of them have to do with black issues. Um, how to be an anti-racist which I referenced a couple of minutes ago like Fagility by Robin D'Angelo so you want to talk about race which I could recommend, highly recommend and the color of law which is not a recent publication and particularly for those who are looking at systemic or policy racism the color of law is um, a look at how the United States government and local and state governments have really created racist policy, deliberately. Mm -hmm. So, at least four out of five, I also checked, and as you go into the top ten, there are at least two or three more. I also looked at the Amazon list, where of the top 25, about a third are Related to black issues, and I think I think was John mentioned on where can I how can I buy black? Where are the black bookstores? And the one black bookstore one in Boston was overwhelmed. Was people wanting to um, order books from there, and we appreciate they appreciate the support. It was almost impossible to keep up with, and now they're adjusting, and things are you know, starting to arrive from their suppliers and they're going to be okay. The opposite side of reading to educate, because it is increasingly clear that the white community, whatever, however we define that, has not been educated on black issues, black arts, black whatever. The the flip side of that is that people cannot stop with Reading that the learning that occurs in books such as How to Be an Anti Racist, White Fragility, that learning has to then be converted to action, which then influences policy. So the, the reading is fantastic. Somebody said, I shouldn't say this, but I will. Somebody said, Golly, white folks are forming book clubs, just to find out about us. And that's good, you know, good, cool, but. Uh, Take the reading to the next step. Take the learning to the next step. It can't be a matter of sitting, reading, discussing, and saying, that's it. What is that? Again, the next step. And Gwen, the next step would be civic action, probably, like
1: writing your legislators, you know, advocating for Yes, there movement.
4: are so... Oh, but when, when people say, what can I do? It gets frustrating. Mm-hmm. because Obviously, this is... You know, I get passionate about this. Uh, it's frustrating because anything from as in your as upfront as participating and supporting marches, contacting legislatures, supporting legislation, how you vote, the policies vote. Yeah. These policies are made by lawyers, right, by the legal and legislative branch of the state, the city, okay? How you vote. So, and and for those who are still looking for what can I do, write a check. Mm -hmm. Write a check to Black Lives Matter. Write a check to the NAACP. There are so many ways to support and proceed that cover every ability and interest. It's
3: true. Just, just so you know, White Fragility. By the way, for people who are, I know the book clubs are are, are actually being formed, um, mm-hmm. but there's there's a there's a guide to that. Um, so if anybody mm-hmm. is be starting um, a book club around White Fragility, I really recommend that they get that the guide because it would guide discussions. Because um, a lot of times you read it and you're you know, you're not sure where to go with that. So this is a guide. Um, and also, if, if people have not read anything by or should they should be also reading Nicole Hannah Jones. She wrote the 1619 Project for the New York Times, yes. and last Sunday she just wrote What Is Ode. So if you if if, if people want to also do a deep dive into the history of, of the economics and what prevented um, the rise in economics from the African American community, it's in here. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot out there. Um, so yes, Gwen, um, and I understand that Ty Hapworth, one of our city councilors, just finished *The Color of Law*, and I think there's a number of people, uh, perhaps even on the on the planning board, that may be reading that, and that's that's very profound that they need to educate themselves because they are mm-hmm. be making some of those decisions. It's
2: a it's a complicated um, <clears throat> as a white person. <laughs> it's really complicated too. I, you know, we're all looking to tie in COVID-related issues. We're all looking for some sort of normality and some sort of baseline to get back to. And then you you tie on these issues that we're having. And I... And Gwen knows. I've known Gwen for a long time. We've uh-huh. done work together. I, for me to say I, I was wrong, I didn't know, I... Wow, I had no idea that that's what that meant. I had no idea that that that's really hard as I'm searching for a sense of normalcy. I also have to push against my sense of normalcy because my sense of normalcy wasn't right. My sense of normalcy wasn't wasn't getting the job done. You know, it's like for all of the talks that I had about why don't we have any black-owned businesses? Why didn't I push the planning department to invite black-owned businesses to the city? So there there's It's been really, really, really humbling to have to say I was wrong, or I don't know. We had a really interesting exchange on one of our Facebook pages the other day about a video that I shared of a group of girls and people dancing, and it was, you know, it was an Afro-Latinx dance performance, this amazingly talented group, and the, the lead girl in the group was a tiny little white girl. And, you know, I, I viewed it coming from my lens of, wow, this is ridiculously, this is an amazing group performance, like the Fly Kids. This is great. This is fantastic. However, the original poster used the title of, you know, watch the white girl dance, basically. So it changed the entire tone of the video and it really turned into this large conversation. And at one point I had to say, damn, I was wrong. I, I I said the wrong things because I was trying to defend a performance and I didn't take into consideration how damaging that title was to the performance. It was this whole thing. So it, it's this constant learning and, and being able to say, I, I might not know and I just need to sit down and shut up, <laughs> which is hard well, think, for John, me.
4: <laughs> I think what... what is what and I, I look at you know various postings and, and whatever and so it's, it's a whole new awakening and it on the one hand you are certainly not alone but mm-hmm. it brings to it, it illustrates how uh, I'm struggling here but it illustrates how un- how unseen unseen people of color have been and I I, I I can remember you know as a child and, and grown-up say black grown-ups saying well you know we know everything about them they know nothing about us and hearing that you know 60 70 years ago and it's so true. So if you look at if you try to turn all of this into a positive, it is that there are eye-opening experiences going on and that's okay.
0: And people are be- Please. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And, and before we move on, because uh, I know we're kind of starting to run short on time, but mm-hmm. one of the things I feel like it's absolutely essential to point out, kind of piggybacking on, you know, John and talking about, you know, as we're trying to get to that sense of normalcy that we're all kind of missing at this point, uh, a lot of people of color don't want to go back to that sense of normalcy. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're oh. looking for improvement. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, I definitely yes. don't, uh, I mean, yes. from from everything we're talking about, to arts and culture, to small business, to all of it, to the freelance issue, to the gig economy workers, to all of it, I don't want to go back to normal, but the psychology of life is you search for something that feels comfortable, and where everything feels so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I I want new normal to be completely different than old normal. But I also need some sort of stability in the in the growth process <laughs> to feel like there's some footing that you can have. So yeah, I mean, I think I think normal is overrated, anyways. But anybody that, knows me knows that.
0: yeah. And on that note, the new normal. You know, so obviously with, you know, that's not, all the race discussions aren't the only thing happening in the region. We're now entering our fifth month of impacts from COVID-19 and the region starting to come back to life. Restaurants really recently added indoor seating after setting up expanded outdoor dining. Streets are starting to get a little busier and the beaches are even teeming. At the same time, it feels like not everybody wants to return. Not every business is going to be reopening. John's been at the center of this as a major part of the economic and development, Economic Development Recovery and Revitalization Task Force. I'd love to talk to whoever named that. Um, So why don't you take us through what's
2: going on there? Sure. So the uh, Economic Development, Revitalization, and Recovery Task Force uh, is, I'm going to look at my list so I don't forget. So it's comprised of city leaders. Uh, The planning department is a big part of it. Tom Daniel, Kate Newhall-Smith is the head of economic development. Um, And just a quick shout out, like what I've seen come out of the planning department through this. I I didn't have a good connection to the planning department in the past and Tom and Kate have really stepped up in incredible leadership roles, and it's been really humbling to see. Um, Salem Chamber of Commerce is a part of it. Salem Main Streets um, is a part of it. Uh, Kylie is still out on maternity leave, but to give you an idea of how long this group has been working on all of this, um, we've been at this pretty much since like a week after lockdown, so mid to late March, um, this, this, organ, this group was put together. Um, the Salem Partnership is a part of it. My organization with Creative Collective is a part of it. Uh, the Enterprise Center is a big part of it. Um, and uh, Lucy Corchado came on a few weeks ago um, One of the to, to speak to the uh, breakdowns in communications and how we need to just do a much better job. We have a consumer sentiment survey out right now. We have over 600 responses and zero responses to the Spanish-translated survey. So we're working on it. It's 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 big conversations trying to figure out. We have an entire segment of the population of amazing Latinx-owned businesses on the point, and the conversations aren't both ways. Uh, not that they don't get supported, not that we don't get supported, but the conversations aren't happening in a constructive fashion. Um so in the just in the past few months um the restaurant reopening is a big part of it which we're we're working on with the city and that was not only making sure that restaurants have some options for outdoor dining but also making sure that we're following the protocols that the city's put in place to be such an inclusive community. Um, I had a long discussion last night with um, the building department about tap boards and making sure that you know, for visually impaired residents, um, we're we're making we're making sure that we're not excluding anyone from being able to enjoy these new outdoor dining experiences or, you know, retail experiences or whatever's coming in the future. Um, Accessibility has been a huge part of the discussion to make sure that, again, everyone can be part of this. Um, We have... Out of 120 restaurants, we've had 70 restaurants reach out to expand their dining in some way, shape, or form. Um, about 75% of that is already in place, and the other 25% of that is coming. So that I am beyond happy with that project. I am beyond happy with what's gone down with that. Now that we have the basics in place... The beautification can begin as well, which ties into my world of arts and culture. Um, a lot of people saw the great Jersey barriers that uh, Anna Dugan painted on Derby Street. Uh, that's one. That's one of seven artists that are going to be working on these projects. Uh, it's been pouring out, so we can't we can't paint concrete in the pouring rain. Um, but beyond the murals. Uh, into the creative workforce in general, we also found a local woodworker that's going to be building, Scott Freshel, he's going to be building 16 portable planters that are going to help with some of these ADA issues, which is fantastic. We found a local metal worker to build us some new ADA accessible ramps, uh, Scott Lane's. So we really wanted to keep as much in the local economy as we possibly could. Uh, Some other things that have come out of the EDRR are are the small business grant program. I think there were 40-plus grants given to small businesses throughout all of Salem. Um, The PPE distribution that just happened for small businesses, um, where uh, 200 small businesses were given care packs, which were gloves and masks and sanitizer and face shields. Um, You know, a lot of these businesses have been closed for 15 to 18 weeks, and and spending a couple hundred dollars on PPE was not something they could really handle right now. So that was a program that just happened. The Salem Together Pledge, um, which is basically if you're going to come to Salem, We're going to do what we can to keep you safe, and we expect you to do what you can Mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody is safe. Um, You know, we are in a very unique position um, with tourists, and, you know, maybe that's a future episode for you guys because that could go on a whole different tangent, but um, tourism is a very, very complicated issue right now. Um, Our businesses also won't make it without tourism, so what do you do with that? It also... Brings in virus and disease. Um, you know, not everybody is great as with face coverings as we are. Um, you, you're seeing numbers across the country that are absolutely dreadful and ridiculously frightening. And if we're welcoming people here, uh, if you talk to Julie from the House of the Seven Gables, we have a lot of tourists that are coming from Florida and Texas right now. That's oh. disturbing. Um, I also don't want the Gables to have to close. So there's that seesaw that's going to happen between the economy of Salem and and what's what's safe and healthy. A couple other things that have come through the EDRR is um, some really 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 amazing industry specific um, meetups. Um, We've done one with personal services. We've done with restaurants. We've done one with retailers. Um, we got one put together for gig, gig workers and freelancers, uh, another one with developers, uh, another one with nonprofits. Um, those have been really eye-opening as far as what these different segments are struggling with. Uh, every segment has its own challenges right now. Um, and so what we do is, is we have those and we take the information and we're like, okay, so what can this group do? To fix these things, what can this group do? One of the big discussions right now is, um, which Kate Fox brought up because she saw it in a webinar somewhere. Um, do we offer small business de-escalation training? Um, I think it's a really mm-hmm. smart idea. What do you do when somebody comes in and they're they're not cool? Yeah. Um, you know, and okay. and you are having people coming from other segments of the country that maybe aren't as understanding of mask wearing or even the color of your skin and what's going to happen when somebody you know a person of color is working at a at a a retail Uh counter Uh and somebody walks in that absolutely refuses to wear a mask and something engages what do what do you do Uh in that situation so we're putting retailers in a really interesting position in the past it was always how do we make the most money and it's it's more than that now, um, and that's that's complicated. Um, and then one of the last things that's just getting started up with EDRR because we just had a meeting about this, and the group is not going away anytime soon. Um, the Enterprise Center is going to start running some um, some specific consult- consultation programs that businesses will not have to pay for um, in marketing, IT pivoting um and just basically getting getting through this in 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 any way they can um nothing is about success right now everything is about survival so it changes a lot of the conversations as far as how small businesses are, are dealing with all of this um for me, it's been great. I we're finally invited to the table as a creative organization, um, and people are starting to really understand how important and how impactful the creative workforce can be and, and what, what role thinking outside the box can play. Um, the rules are gone. The rules aren't the same. So people that can pivot and can change and can be flexible and can be fluid and can come up with new creative options and ideas on how people can keep their businesses afloat. Um, it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a humbling experience. It's been awesome seeing all of these organizations work together. Um, this whole entire package from the restaurant reopening to EDRR back to Deb's point about leadership, I, I remember a week into lockdown getting a message from Kim Driscoll saying we cannot let our small businesses fail. Right. What can we do to make sure that our small businesses don't fail? I mean, when you have a mayor that starts the conversation with that, I mean, that's not happening in other communities around us. I can tell you that because oh, I work sure. in other
1: communities. And <laughs> as someone who covers other communities, I mean, we in Swampscott wasn't talking about this reopening plan until like April and May you know, like, like end of April, like, like first week of May, like, and I really, I do remember seeing conversation about this task force being, I think I got like a press release from the, from the mayor's office, like a week into this COVID stuff. I mean, that's, that's just a lot of work, like, and yeah. And what's, what's great about it is, is what do we do? I, you know, I, same thing. I mean,
2: out of the diversity task force, we're hoping, what are the next steps Well, out of EDR, we're trying to figure out what are the next steps. Everybody loves this outdoor dining. If we're doing it right and we're keeping it ADA accessible and it makes sense, how do we do this next year? How do we make this an annual thing? How do we there's so much that can be done there, and then that gets down to policy and advocacy. How do we get, and Deb can speak to this a little bit through licensing, how do we get ABCC to not go back to the way it was and keep the control in the local licensing boards so when we want to extend premise and have outdoor dining and drinking, it's something that can happen locally instead of going to the state level and taking 7 to 12 weeks.
0: So okay. we've got about 30 seconds left yep. uh, before we run out of time here. I, I, Deb, did you want to respond?
3: Yeah, just real quick. Um, one of the things on the licensing board we were able to do, and again, I think this is actually coming from the state government and with Charlie Baker. First of all, thankfully, I am so thankful for the mandate for masks. I spent a lot of time in Maine. Just what you were saying, well, it, it, it's, it's not the same level of support. They don't know what they're doing. So in terms of the ABCC, the, the only thing the licensing board had to do was we just had to vote to allow a task force, and I'm not sure if it's the same one, John, to be able to go out and, and reach out to the to the uh, different restaurants and businesses. So that was easy. That was easy to do. Had we had to license each person for extended, to extend, that would have taken months. It just wouldn't have worked. So uh, kudos to John and his team, and, um, and, and kudos to Kim, and kudos actually even to the governor, to really have a plan and to who he worked with, as I said, seeing in another state that just does not have it act together is a is
2: a wholly different thing. Yeah, and, I just, and to to the earlier point, no, I was just going to say to the earlier point, none of this is short term fixes. We're starting things, we're getting them done, but like all of this is, we want a different normal
1: moving forward. Yes, and, uh, yeah. I just want to say that War Two Counselor Christine Maduro has done a great. I love. Uh, she keeps me updated through her newsletter because she's on yeah. this tap. She's on this uh, mm-hmm. this group and this revitalization and recovery. T- yeah, group. Uh, she's done a great job just updating me and everyone in her community, I guess in her constituents uh, through her newsletter and uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, and she's been she's been great. I mean, she's the
2: one that brought up the tap board issue and one of the things that. You know, the building department was going out today to figure out how do we do this even better. And then we'll work with DPW and the business owners to figure out how to implement these things to make sure that it's better. Because honestly, I don't want to give anybody an excuse to not do this again. I mean, I'm not saying we can do everything—a giant 20 by 80, 10 out in front of Ledger. I don't see that happening every year, but you know, the extra seating in Lapin Park, the, um, you know, just just look at just look at Fountain Place. I mean, Fountain Place probably has better sales this year than they've ever had because of this new outdoor dining. So, you know, and I think that you're you're actually seeing some of these restaurants making up for the 12 to 15 weeks of no sales, which is huge. However, everybody needs to understand these are Band-Aids. Until these restaurants can get their bars reopened, margins at restaurants are too small. There is not enough staff to go around. So it's not all butterflies and kittens, but it's helping. We have we, we are doing the best we can to put Band-Aids on so we don't bleed out completely.
3: So one other thing, um, I'm just going to say this, and we'll wrap this up if you want. Um, So a lot of people don't feel safe going back into a store Mm -hmm. or downtown dining. Um, I've been to all my favorite places, many, many restaurants, and my favorite stores, and it's safe, guys. If you feel like getting out, uh, if you want to go buy a book in the bookstore or visit Coons for a card or whatever, go ahead. You can feel safe doing that. Just wear your mask.
2: Everybody's ready for you. And and one other quick thing, just to to Deb's point. I know, Dustin, (laughs) you want to leave. But no, this is important. If If you want to go somewhere, if you do go somewhere that is somewhere that you love and they're not doing the right thing, please don't go on social media and blast them. Send them a private message and say, I will definitely shop there more if your employees make sure that they keep their masks on. Uh, uh-huh. blasting people on social media in this time when business is so fraught is just an absolute bad idea these places want to hear feedback but please find a way to contact them privately and tell them you love their store, you love their business but if they did this you would spend more money with them they
0: will adjust Thanks. and that's a wrap to this episode of Salem Happenings Thank you for tuning in and joining us on this journey so far. Until next time, for Will, Deb, Gwen, Rebecca, John, and everyone else behind the scenes, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time things are happening in Salem. Thank you.